Hello, I am Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop, and this is the Meet Cute Book Pod. Today, I'm bringing you the audio of our very first virtual panel, which we hosted way back in October of last year. It's a conversation between authors Adriana Herrera, Kennedy Ryan, Nana Malone, and Nisha Sharma, moderated by Nicole Perkins, who, among other things, was the co-host of the impeccably named Thirst Aid Kit podcast. The stated topic of discussion for the panel was diversity in the age of viral books. They cover that and so much more. It's an insightful, incisive, wide-ranging conversation that I can best describe as writing romance while black and brown in 2022. Nicole begins by asking what inspired each of the authors to start writing romance and what they find to be the hardest thing about it, even when, like Nana Malone, you've got more than 100 books under your belt. They talk about the pressure they've felt to tone down the authenticity of their books to appeal to audiences who don't share their or their characters' identities, and some of the choices they've had to make in terms of content and marketing. They compare their experiences having books traditionally published and publishing them independently. And finally, they think through how TikTok in particular has changed publishing and what that means when the app itself isn't an even playing field for authors of color. Before I leave you to that fascinating conversation, I will introduce each of our panelists and our moderator. USA Today bestselling author Adriana Herrera was born and raised in the Caribbean, but for the last 15 years has let her job and her spouse take her all over the world. She loves writing stories about people who look and sound like her people getting unapologetic happy endings. Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author Nana Malone writes sexy, feel-good romance, really straddling the contemporary and romantic suspense genres. She is also the creator of the hashtag brown nipple challenge. Kennedy Ryan writes emotional stories that straddle the lines of contemporary romance and women's fiction and center people of color. Nisha Sharma writes YA and contemporary romances about Indian diaspora characters. And last but not least, our moderator, Nicole Perkins. Nicole writes about the intersections of pop culture, race, sex, gender, and relationships. She has co-hosted This Is Good For You, a podcast about finding pleasure in life, Thirst Aid Kit, a podcast about pop culture and desire, and The Waves, a podcast that examines news and culture through a feminist lens. All right, without further ado, here are Adriana Herrera, Nana Malone, Kennedy Ryan, and Nisha Sharma in conversation with Nicole Perkins. Okay, so I'm going to start off, we're going to warm up a little bit with some, um, I hope they're soft questions. Um, So um, what was the first book not first book, but what was the book or the series of books that made you say, you know what, I'm going to write this romance. I'm going to write a romance novel. What inspired you? Uh, You know, it's funny. Um, I mean, I'd always been a reader, but it was really the summer that Bridget Jones's diary came out. Um, I was living in New York city and, you know, living this, like, you know, I was working at this awful PR company and like miserable and getting paid peanuts to live, you know, to work in Manhattan. Um, and that the book was everywhere and I had no idea. I was like, what is this book? Why, you know, what is everyone reading? And it was on the train it was on the bus everywhere you went. And finally I took my, you know, happy behind to borders, rest in peace. And I, and it was the front of the front of the store. Not, you know, at the time you're a reader, you don't know that's a paid placement. 
but I picked it up and I immediately started, you know, you just kind of like thumb through it. And I was like, Oh, and the voice, like, I didn't know it was voice then, but I was like, this sounds like me. This sounds like how my friends and I, I mean, this white British lady from <laughs> that I had like zero connection to. I was like, why does this feel like, I was like, I could do this. I read it in like two and a half hours and I pulled out my laptop and I was like, I'm going to write a fun, happy romance, but with a black girl. And that was my first, uh, you know, know nothing about like conflict motivation goal. I was like, I'm doing this today. And um, that's how I started. I love that. Um, um, Kennedy? Yeah. I don't, I don't know that I ever thought about writing fiction. Like my background is journalism. And I did think that I would write a book one day, but I thought it would be a commentary on some war that I had covered, <laughs> which never happened, by the way. I've been reporting from a war-torn country. Um, but I thought about writing fiction at all, although I loved romance. And um, just kind of as an escape, I started a foundation for families who have children with autism because I'm a mom um, of someone who has autism. And I was running that foundation and I was raising a kid who's on the spectrum. And, you know, my whole life was that. And I just needed an escape. I wasn't even reading romance. And I started reading romance again. Um, I started reading romance in the eighth grade to my mother. Um, and I started reading romance again, hadn't read since college. And this was like in my 30s, probably. And it was just an escape. And it was what it did for me, which is what I just kind of felt like I, I want to do that too. And I wouldn't say it's a particular book that um, influenced me to start it. But I think there's an author who, when I read her, I was like, I love what she does. And that I, I am, you know, Sarah McLean says, you know, what blooded you? Historical romance is what blooded me. You know, I started with like, you know, Kathleen Wooderwiss and Joanna Lindsay, like those back way back in the days. And um, so historical romance is kind of what blooded me. And Laura Kinsale is the author who, and I think she's been a real influence for me, even though I don't write historical and have no aspiration to God bless you, Adriana, for venturing into historical from contemporary, but I don't think I can do it. But um, she wrote very messy stories. She didn't, um, her heroines were unexpected. They made odd decisions. She didn't pull any punches. She didn't, you know, placate the reader. She was like, this is where we're going. Buckle up. You either in, you know, follow me. And I love that she writes. It's like she's finger painted. <laughs> You know, he's like, but it's amazing. It's amazing. And so um, I would say probably Laura Kinsale was just an influence for me as I started writing romance. Nisha. I, yeah, no, I, so um, I actually have like three pivotal points in my life where I can kind of, I can pinpoint exactly like that's the moment that shaped um, my future career. Um, when I was very young, I was obsessed with Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys super mysteries. So there was like in the early 90s, there was a crossover and they tried to do the crossover multiple times before it didn't work out. But this crossover series was like the super mysteries. There was this uh, like tension between Nancy Drew and Frank Hardy. And I don't know what it was, but it was like seven, eight year old Nisha who is like, they belong together. Ned is a trash boyfriend, does not support Nancy Drew's sleuthing, you know, like goals in life. And I actually like 
I like got the book at auction because I had lost it when I was a kid, but like recently I found it again. It's Secrets of the Nile, like page 188, when they kissed. And that was the moment that like the top of my head blew <laughs> off. And like I could like recall that moment. So there was that moment. And then like I remember reading through all the romances in the young adult section and the summer after seventh grade, I like ventured into like the adult romance section in my library. And I saw this really pretty pink cover with like a beautiful beachy landscape on the front. And it was Nora Roberts' uh, <laughs> Inner Harbor. And it was the third book in her Chesapeake Bay saga. And that was like, that was the moment where I was like, I'm writing these. I'm writing the Frank Hardy, Nancy Drew in this situation. It's going to happen. And it wasn't until I was like, you know, a few drafts of like stories in when I was like 21 years old, I joined RWA at 18. I was like, I was like in the industry pretty young, but I was like 21 when I read South Asian characters that were born and raised in the U S for the first time in a book. And that was when I was like, you know what? Like I can do this and I'm going to fight to put my identity in the pages of the romance novels that I've loved growing up. So those were like the three pivotal moments from Nancy Drew all the way to Born Confused by Tanuja Desai Hidier. <laughs> um, I thought for me, I, I always, this question is always kind of um, hard for me because I grew up in the DR. I grew up in the Dominican Republic. I was down until I was 23 and I did all of my schooling through college there. And so there were a lot of books written by people who looked by, like me there. So, you know, I could go to any bookstore and there would be books by Dominican authors. There would be books by Latin authors that I had access to. So I didn't have that experience of like being like in a dominant culture that didn't reflect me so much. But in terms of romance, I did have a lot of frustrations. Right. So I like I, for example, Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of my favorite authors and I remember it was the first book I read like Love and Times of Color that was one of the first book I read where I was like this is the Caribbean like it smells like where I live the people look like where I live the people sound like where I live and so to me that was like amazing and it is a love story but they just don't kiss at all and so I was like can I find where is the story where I get like the Caribbean and also I get the romance. So then I kind of like veered into reading a lot of romance from probably since I was 12. Um I would come here. I've said this a million times in, in panels that Nisha and Kennedy and then I probably heard. But um I used to come for the summers to the US cuz we had family here in New York and in San Diego. And so I had much older cousins my cousin who lived in New York loved Harlequin categories and my cousin that lived in San Diego loved historical romance. And I enjoyed the categories, but I loved the historical romances. I remember like reading my first Joanna Lindsay, like I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was Fires of Winter, that great cover with like them lying on the bed and it's like a shot from like <laughs> above. And I just reread it and it's like bananas and doesn't hold up well at all, but <laughs> it like changed everything. I like, I knew about what a book should be like. And then Elizabeth Lowell, like I really loved her books too. So um, 
that I think was like kind of like the influence of this is something that I love. But like Kennedy, I never really thought about it as something that I would do. It was also always like a place of comfort for me. Mm-hmm. And I really lost my like romance and I broke up like after I discovered like black feminist thought for like a solid 10 years. Like I couldn't like there was like I can't like make these two things work for me. And then I went to work um, in East Africa and I was really needing books that were like comforting. And I went back to romance for that reason. I needed things that were like a soft landing because my work was so stressful. So yeah, and the similar way. And then after that, I, I started more and more thinking, I want these books to have people like me in them. What is the scariest or the most daunting part of writing romance? It's hard all the time, <laughs> honestly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> For me, it's the beginning. Like, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it feels like, um, and I'm not a big outliner. I do a lot of interviewing and research before, and then after I do all of that, I have like a germ of an idea. And then after I've kind of done interviews and research and depending on the topic, then actually the stories, the actual story starts to form around that germ of an idea based on what I've discovered. And I still don't really outline that way. Um, And I would probably, this probably wouldn't be daunting if I did, but it doesn't, I'm not a pantser, but that the outlining doesn't really work for me very much loosely. So every time I sit down with like, and there's the blank page and there's the cursor, it feels to me like, I don't remember how I ever did this. Like, I don't know how I get, my books are usually about 120 to 130,000 words. I'm like, how do I get from this cursor, like this blank page to that? I don't remember what that journey is. So for me, the beginning is really, really hard. Um, Even if I know what I'm supposed to start with, sometimes it's really hard. And, And I am the worst and I know that you're not supposed to do this, but I edit myself as I'm writing and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's so mediocre. Oh, this is trash. Why am I even, you know, and I have to get past that. Once I get past that beginning and can really start rolling, it comes together. But the beginning is always really hard for me. So that's me. <laughs> so I I have a I have a thought and I know that I've literally had the same conversation with all three of you, like Kennedy, Nana, and Adriana. I think the most daunting thing for me, I agree, the start is definitely incredibly hard for me. And I think part of that is like, there are still so few South Asian books on the market. And there's still so many people who expect every narrative to be like the narrative for everybody. And I just can't be that person. And I try very hard to build nuance into my story because of that. And so um, I think the hardest part is to strike the balance between what I want for my characters and also like this responsibility. I feel that I know I you know, a lot of people feel like you shouldn't have that responsibility. It's not your responsibility. Like your only goal should be really about focusing on developing the character, but I like, it's not something that I've ever been able to shake. So I think the responsibility of like building an authentic nuanced, like representation in the stories that I write, knowing that I'm not going to make everyone happy, knowing not everyone is going to relate, but at the same time, like making sure that what I'm creating is true. 
So that's for me, Nana. that's the hardest part. Nana? Um, I mean, I think there are two points that are always really difficult for me. Um, the first is as soon as I finish the previous one, um, I have an incredibly deep backlist. So I'm aware that I, I know intuitively I can do it, but I'm like, oh my God, that was the last one. That's it. I have nothing left. I have no more juice. I mean, I have a whole book list of ideas and like snippets of stories. So there's always something to go to, but like, I'm always convinced at the end that I can never, ever do it again. And it's always terrifying because it's like, well, what if that was the last, that that's it. I mean, and I, I, I can look back and go, that was a good run, but like, I know that I want to do more. So there's, that's always like the, it's, and it's like the weirdest fear because I'm like, you have 110 books. What's wrong with you? Just suck it up and sit down and <laughs> next one. Let's, let's, you know, get books. Jesus. you just <laughs> slid right past that. Nana. I have 110 books. Like you just slid right past it. <laughs> that, that, that's as the, like the clearly I can, because this is the fear every time. Like it's the most irrational fear ever because like I'll be watching something and I'll be like <gasps> story idea. And my brain's already like, write it down. Like before, you know, cause you guys know it's like the moment you don't write it down. It's like that thread is just, and it's like, ha, ah! but like, it just feels like it's never going to happen again. So that's the first fear. And then the second fear is like Nisha. I mean, when I started, you know, like standing in that Barnes and Noble after I'd read that or Borders after I'd read that book. And I was like, I can do this. And I, and I knew it there, you know, there are those moments in time when you know, you can do something. I'm like, I can do this, but I was very specific about my, like, I was like, what my calling is. I was like, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to put the woman that looked like me and look like my friends and look like my family. And, you know, being from Ghana, I'm like, I'm going to sneak that in there too. And I was like very particular about, I was like, this is my mission statement. So having been trad and possibly, well, no, go, trying to go back trad, but also being Indian, trying to like work that level of like getting it right. And every time I sit down and I'm like, okay, this character, I'm like, okay, so she's going in. And I'm like, wait, the last two <laughs> We're Ghanaian. Okay. I'm like, okay, she can't be Ghanaian. And I'm like, mm. but I, I'm like, she, I'm like, no, she's Ghanaian. And I'm like, no, she can't be Ghanaian. You just did that. And like all this idea of like, oh, what's, what's realistic. And I'm like, well, why am I worried about what's realistic? My, my non-melanated counterparts don't ever think about, oh, the last heroine was white. <laughs> they never, not once has never. it ever occurred to anyone non-melanated. So why am I like, oh, I just wrote a black heroine. Yeah, I can't do that again. Like, I mean, not ever. And so like, I always get caught in that like spot of like what, like my natural, I'm like, well, of course she's going to hit. And, you know, and then she, you know, like that's, that's my culture. It's where I'm from. And I'm like, more like me, but, and most like 80% of my books feature women of color, you know, all kinds of women of color, like that are like represent my family and friends. Um, but like every time I sit down, I have to like do that thing where I have to like get out of my own way and be like, sure, she can make an in. I don't care. What are they going to do? Not buy it. I mean, don't not buy it, but like that, <laughs> but that's the inherent fear that like being like, oh God, is this the one that they won't buy? Because they're like, well, that's too many black girls. But that was my mission statement. And I can't not do it. It's like, 
that is the compulsion, that is the impulse. And I'm like, no, of course she's black. More brown nipples. Like that's the immediate thought. And, but the fact that like, and the fact that the, these women like all sit there and go, yeah, we know. Like you, cause we all have that thought. Like, is this the one that we're like, every last one was exact, you know, it's like, it feels like, oh, are we being repetitive? Or is that what we're not allowed to do? I have that every time I sit down to write and that's always, and then I have to get out of my own way and be like, I can do what I want. The joy of it. And then sure enough, people buy it and I'm like, ah, and then I'm like, but what if I can't do it again? <laughs> like, so those are the fears that, I mean, I personally go through that, like haunt me and like keep me up at night. But then, you know, once you start and you're in it and the characters take over, you know, things are hard. It's not easy, but then, you know, you can do it because it's muscle memory. I think, I mean, honestly, a lot of the same things. I think it's hard writing into a space that has, you have no reference for. Like when I was writing Caribbean heiress, like I couldn't really go to a library and, or a bookstore or anywhere and be like, um, let me just buy this, the last series where like, it was all Dominican women in, in Europe in a historical romance. There aren't any. And so it, it was, it was that, it's that fear of a, the responsibility that you feel just because you're going into like a place that like, there's no path that has like, that you can look to. And also that piece of feeling like you have to justify even like the air that your characters breathe and right. And not like make every single book that you write about the perspective what the dominant gaze views like your entire experience, your entire people's history experience to be. So like, like we have to navigate so much um, and think about so much, even to the degree of like, what, what part of like the immigrant experience am I going to take on in this, in this book that is like a romance, like the last, like my, my book that's coming out now, like her whole thing is that she had to be like the interpreter for her family. Like her parents couldn't, couldn't speak English when they came to the U S. And so like, I can't like harp on it and make it like the entire book, but it's like an experience that, I, and I have to like really be sure not to make it too much of it because really like the focus is the romance. And I feel like so many, like, I think, we have to care, like we have to pull off the romance with the sexy with the everything and then we also have to like navigate all these other things and that can be daunting sometimes i i have a question have any of you been asked by readers to write something other than like the identities that you choose to write cuz recently that's been happening to me a lot like i've had readers approach me with bridgerton saying why can't you write more like Kate Sharma in the Bridgertons than like, you know, Karina in Dating Dr. Dill. And my response is the same because Kate Sharma was created by a white man. Mm -hmm. uh, and like, that is like, not something I will ever be able to like write with any, first of all, with like, like, it's not my truth. I will not write that. And number two, it's problematic as hell. <laughs> like, no. yeah. yeah, not, not, not in those words. I mean, I assume like people have asked me like, will you write anything other than Dominicans? And I'm like, I could write another 500 books and I would still have Dominican stories to tell. Yeah. And so no, <laughs> no, they will always be Dominican. Sorry. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I get that question a lot, you know, like, I mean, I do read a lot of black American women, like, obviously, because I've grown up here. But you know, like, I'll get like, people tend to because you hear me like you hear me speak and like, I have a very specific experience. And so people are like, well, but like, can you make the characters more black? And I'm like, blacker than me, because I'm (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean by more black? And then it's like really trying to like be like, there's no unilateral black experience. Like I will write within the confines of the things that I have experienced. So like, I'm usually writing like, you know, black or African women abroad or who traveled or who were like, cause that's like, that's my easy wheelhouse. And then the other things were research. Right. And so they're like, Oh, but like, I, you know, like I really want, you know, like you to write a story that's like this. And I'm like, I always, I'm like, why don't you write that story? (laughs) Because that's not where I'm pulling from. Um, And so, and I'm like, but I was like, I could write a million African women, a million and they're like, oh, but I just, you know, I just want like a really like black American book. And I'm like, I am black American. <laughs> I'm giving yeah. you a black American book. And they're like, but you know what I mean? I'm like, no, I don't. I mean, I just like blank it out. I get asked that frequently, but other than that, no other identities like really. I haven't had people ask me to write other identities like that. There's a lot of activism that runs through my books and I write around censoring mostly, you know, women of color. So I've written about like, uh, you know, the Crown Act and hair discrimination and voter suppression and it, with indigenous rights. And, you know, a lot of that stuff just makes its way into the books because of who these women are. And I get a lot of, could you please not write so woke? Like I get a lot of the people who are like, why are you trying to write so woke? And I, I've actually seen um, reviews because people send them to me. Thank you. Oh, um, where, you know, it's like, I remember, remember this distinctly Kennedy Ryan would be a lot more successful if she just got out of her way and stopped writing all of these woke books you know she's a good writer but she just can't get out of her way she keeps writing these woke books and so um duly noted (laughs) um so that's the you know but I think a lot of those things that grows out of identity. Like they may not process on a surface level that the the things they're asking me to do grow out of the identities of the characters that I'm writing um, and what they're passionate about and what they have to navigate. Um, But that, I I understand that. So that's, that's what I get a lot is don't write so woke, leave the politics out. You have an agenda. Why is it always about, you know, whatever? Um, because it is always about whatever, <laughs> you know, so. This is actually kind of similar to a question that I have for you all. Um, so while we're here on this train of thought, I'll just skip right ahead to it um, because some authors, there's some white authors uh, over the recent years, as you know, the cry for diversity gets louder and louder. Um, they say that they feel pressured to add certain kinds of marginalized characters to their books, or else they will not get published. Right? Um, have you ever felt pressure to tone down the authenticity of your books in order to make them more appealing to white audiences or to um, audiences that do not identify? with a Dominican or Ghanaian, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Because of the same time that that, that Kennedy just said, I mean, personally, 
I, again, put a lot of social justice themes into my books. I like persistently and like center the immigrant experience in my books. And those things will involve like involving some conversations about systemic oppression and certain other things that are are going to be places that are going to be pain points or places where like are going to feel discomfort for, uh, you know, people who are white. And so, yes, but I resist it. Because my mission, the reason why I'm, I write is because I want to center Afro-Latinx culture and joy in our experience, right? So if I'm not writing that to like, if I'm not leaning into that, then I am betraying the reader that I came in to write for. Because like, again, like I am always happy when like readers who are not like women of color, who are not immigrants, find my books and love them. But like the person that I came in to write is a reader like me, a reader that was like hungry, yearning to read experiences and stories that like reflect in my whole self. So, yes, because we like to make money and like you go to the bestseller list and you see what's selling and you see what you're writing and you're like, oh, that's a big gap. (laughs) There's a chasm there between what I'm doing and what's like you know, selling millions of copies and like, how do I bridge that without betraying myself? Like, I don't think I can. And like, I just have to stay true to the reason why I started writing because I honestly don't think I could continue to write. Like, I don't think there would be like a longevity in my career if I forced myself to write something that is not what I I came into writing. And I talk about this specifically with Kennedy, like ad nauseum all the time, because we we have a lot of similar thoughts in in that sense. So um, I think I think like Kennedy and Adriana know this, but for a long time, I worked in diversity, equity and inclusion in corporate. And I did a lot of consulting for marketing agencies like that supported publishers and for publishing houses. And I remember like a few weeks ago, I like right before I left and I retired and became full time, I had this conversation with someone in house and they were like, you know, and kind of going to the topic of like our whole conversation is like, you know, Nisha, I think like you would go a lot, like you would have a better chance at going viral if you didn't talk about intergenerational trauma and (laughs) like intergenerational, like colonization (laughs) or themes of colonization as much as you do. And I was like, you know what? Like I'm writing this next book like, what do I, what happens if I try? And I, and Kennedy, this is a conversation you and I had like two weeks ago too, where I was like, yeah, I'm going to like, let's see if it's possible. And then like, I look at my draft, I'm like, it's impossible to separate my identity from the stories that I want to write. It's impossible because like going back to like my mission statement is like, I want to make sure that what I'm writing is true. And it's not true for me. Like the characters that I create, the stories that I create no longer are true if I strip it away. And I am not writing to make other people comfortable with their understanding of my identity. (laughs) Like that is not my purpose. I'm writing for those readers who are desperate to see like something similar to who they are. And you know, it may not be exactly their experience, but if it gives them hope that they, that they have like representation in the books that they read, enjoy narratives, then it's worth it. 
but like I tried I was like let's yeah like why not let's do a writing exercise it's impossible it's literally impossible because that's just what I write yeah I mean this is like you know we've been talking about kind of like what calls us to write a lot and you know and you know with Adriana and Nisha especially I mean you guys are like heavy trad right so like it's the, the inception to like when the book is out is a long space of time. And Kennedy, mostly you're like trad, doing trad at least the next little bit. And so, you know, that that's all slum, but in that like indie space, cause I've been indie for a long time. I remember when I was trad and I, you know, when I first came to the industry, I, you know, like I remember I, there was this pitch thing and I was so excited and I went and I pitched it and this agent looked me in the face and she was like, I like the idea, but make her not black. And I just like the way my soul just like crawled in on itself. And I was like, but um, I'm a stubborn fool. So I was like, no, <laughs> like you could just, I was just like, no, just can't. Like I literally could not, that's not something I could do. Now, have I written white characters? Yes, because they're all also part of my family and my friends group. But do I always slide it in there? Like that, like they're aware that they have a different situation, a hundred percent, because that is my experience. People who love me and are in my life know that they're extremely privileged and they're running around like living a different alternate reality than I am. Um, but it's happened with agents. It's happened, you know, when it, I, in the indie space, especially like if you want to make money, like I, people will just be like, you're really talented. What you're writing is like super marketable. Just if you could, you know, stop writing brown people. Nobody wants to read that. I've had foreign people, foreign agents tell me this, that they could sell my books if everyone was white. Like I, to my face out loud with using mouth words. And I'm like, ah, that, that's, that's nice, but I'm not going to do that. So I'll just publish international books myself. I'll get them translated and I'll do it myself because there's the, the thing, the thing I can change, you know, like in about 2017, like for years, I put black women on the covers. I was like, I don't care. Again, stubborn. But, you know, and I was like, I hit a certain level and I was like, and I plateaued and I was like, ah, there has to be something. And, you know, I hired, you know, I was working with um, like a business coach and, and he was like, what would happen if we just did an experiment? He's like, you're not only to change what you're writing. I was like, absolutely not. The way I s- sunk my feet into that and I was like, over my cold, dead body. And he was like, cool. But what we're going to do is we're going to change the marketing and we're just, we're going to let you be you. And he's like, still do videos, still do your social media because my face is out there. It's not like I'm hiding. He's like, but if we just removed your face from the point of sale, what would happen? My logo on Amazon is my, it's my logo, not my face. I immediately started selling better. And I was like, the pain of that is really brutal. It's because when you are a full-time writer, you have to make the money and write, and you have to feel nourished in writing the things that you want to write. And so you have to make those decisions. The decisions our counterparts don't have to make, don't have to think about. And so when I did that, I immediately started selling better. And I will never forget the first review of one of the first books in that range. Like I didn't hide that Penny, my character was black. I was like, you know, I was like, she's Caribbean, you know, she is, you know, indigenous and black and like 
this is who she is. I did not hide it in the words. And the first, one of the first reviews I got for it was like, I had no idea she was black. And I was like, thank you for your money. And the person's like, well, I'm still going to go get the rest of the series. And I was like, oh, in spite of mm, that burn. But I took that money and pocketed it because I was like, and the next princess is also black. Take that. Like, I mean, it allows me to do what I need to do. But I had to understand that some of the marketing decisions that I was making will stop people. And so you, at the time you make the decision, you make the call that's best for you at the time. I choose like, because I was like, I'm not changing the books. So, and I'm going to continue. And then the best part was like recently, my latest book, I marketed with my own black face, made the ad. Guess what? That book did great. <laughs> and I was like, so I can go back to this now. And a couple of years ago, I put myself on a cover because I was like, I'm not hiding. I refuse to hide. And so I think, you know, after 2020, a lot of people were like, I'm going to try. And, and I was like, why do you have to try it? It's, this is vitamin rich cake, people. This is romance. It's delicious and tasty and fun and joyful, but there are those decisions to make and people still have the things that they believe their internalized biases that we all have to contend with because we need to earn money so that we can keep doing what we do. And so we have to make decisions as we go. And some of those decisions are unpleasant and awkward and difficult, but we make them, whatever those decisions may be, we make them, but all the time is my answer. I get asked that all the time. <laughs> Nana, you've brought up um, some of the differences between uh, independent publishing and traditional publishing. I wanted to talk about that and ask, as publishing, you know, publishing takes a long time. You can sell your book in 2020, but it's not coming out until 2022, maybe 2023, or even 2024, sometimes depending on the publishing, the traditional publishing's um, calendar. Um, yet and still, publishing also tries to keep up with social media trends and make sure that their authors are, you know, putting out different um, social media posts, something on Twitter, something on Instagram, something on TikTok, whatever that may be. Um, what are some of your frustrations in this kind of slow moving business that still tries to follow trends and, and keep up with um, keep up with the youngsters? I mean, I, mean, I think I, since you brought up TikTok and some of the frustrations, and I, I think that TikTok has like completely changed publishing. Uh, you know, that's obvious. Like it's completely changed how we sell books. Like it's interesting because um John Green uh, was talking about a few weeks ago, um one of his books went viral on TikTok, and it was a book that a movie was being made for. I can't remember, but he said that he made more money and was like sold better in the few days that his book was viral on TikTok than a, a movie theater promoting his book. Like all along, he never sold as many books as he did just with his book going viral on TikTok for a few days. So I think really digging into the, the first of all, it's a, it's a necessity a little bit. Like um, it feels like a necessity to have some presence there. Um, I mean, there are some people who can choose not to, but um, for me, it feels definitely like a necessity to at least as a part of a, a solvent marketing strategy to at least have a presence there. Um, a lot of what goes viral on TikTok is 
is not even done by the author, but by someone else. So you have very little control. But but to give it context, we're talking about a platform that has already admitted an algorithmic bias against Black and brown people. So we are, as always, already at a disadvantage. You know, so you're coming into a space that has already said, we're going to suppress content made by people who look like you. And then, you know, when you talk about internalized bias, Nana, I think what's so interesting to me, and this may veer a little bit as far as like TikTok specific, but I think it digs into some of the, the gap that we're talking about that we see in publishing. And you talk about white authors, you know, feeling the pressure of writing, you know, characters who look like us, that pressure is self-imposed because we're not asking them to do us any, they're not doing us any favors by writing characters who look like us. You know what I mean? Like we can do that just fine. We are doing that very well. And I don't have a problem with white writers writing those characters as long as they're doing their due diligence, as long as they are amplifying people who are actually writing, you know, out of their own cultural experience, as long as they are making sure what I call Hippocratic doing no harm. Like those are all elements. So that pressure that they feel is not, that's a self-imposed pressure. We don't, we don't need them to rescue us from not having characters of color. There's a threat thriving, um, you know, climate of Black and Brown stories featuring Black and Brown women. I think what is difficult for me sometimes, even on TikTok, is seeing that there are even Black and Brown creators, when you talk about internalized bias, even Black and Brown creators are not promoting Black and Brown authors. Um, And this is a blanket statement. Like if you gave me a minute, I could literally go down the list and give you a whole list of black and brown creators who are, who are doing, who I'm so, so grateful to, who are consistently promoting black and brown authors. But there are a lot of black and brown creators with huge platforms on TikTok who consistently do not. When you look at their account, 98% of the content they're promoting is written by white authors and featuring white characters. And yet, as soon as there is a problematic author who comes on the scene, they're the first ones who are like, we got to do better. This is so problematic. And I'm like, boo, (laughs) if you are a, if you, if you are black, if you are brown and you are not, and I'm, I'm not trying to dictate what people read, but I'm saying, if you don't read stories of people who look like you, you don't read stories written by people who look like you, you don't promote and shout about stories who look like, look like, and are written by people like you, you might be part of the problem, sweetie. And not even you, and you should interrogate that. You know, it's not just about us dictating what you write or what you read, but if you have, if that is an issue, then you should at least interrogate it and say, why? Why is that? Like, why is it that as a black or brown person, I never promote, I never read, I never shout about books written by people who look like me? You know, so when you're talking about us navigating um, TikTok, there are many biases and many barriers, algorithmic and cultural and societal, that we are battling that put us at a severe disadvantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I'm not on TikTok and I've made that choice just in terms of like, I felt like when I was trying to be on it, I was feeling very frustrated and sometimes like demoralized because it is hard to constantly like, um, like put your work out there and then feel like, you know, like your friends who are writing amazing books yourself, like we're putting so much into our books and like people just like, 
won't pick them up. And one thing that I think about a lot, and when I was first starting to get published traditionally, we had a lot of conversations. I remember having this conversation with, with Nisha years ago, like we were really in a place where like we thought, well, YA has so much diverse um, authors. There's so much diverse, um, there's so many diverse stories in YA when these, um, you know, readers come to like their adult age and they're like in, you know, 1920 and looking for um, romance to read, they're going to naturally come to those stories that are more diverse. I was wrong. They, they, oh. I, I, I thought, I mean, they, I, I thought they would change the landscape of, of the publishing industry, specifically in romance. And I was right about that. I was really wrong about what they would reach for. And, and I really thought about like, why, why is, what is it that like, even though they have been reading these stories that are like inherently diverse, like diverse yeah. in terms of sexuality, gender expression, race, um, culture, they still like, if you go to the bestseller list, again, if you go to TikTok, like by and large, it's a very young readership, like what is happening? And I, and I do think like part of it is that systemically, like, right, like the publishing industry has created this, this thing where like the books that are like lesson books and the books that are about like heavy, serious things are the books with people that look like us and the books that are for pleasure are the books that are yeah. not. And so I think like, it really is like, we're coming up against, it's not as simple. And, and I say this a lot, like there's a lot of white authors who are very successful, who like actively try to lift up yeah. authors of color. But I think it's a lot, it's, it's not as simple as recommending a book. Yeah. It's like really going into like, there is like, um, there really is a systemic issue in terms of like our books on the face of it is not something that people feel like they can relate to or that they're going to enjoy and so they're going to enjoy. And that's, that's a hard barrier to cross. And like, I, and I want to piggyback off off that. So I, I feel like out of all of us, I'm the, probably the most active on TikTok on a regular basis. And I've had a lot of thoughts about TikTok and I've had a lot of conversations about it. And there's like the first thing I think people are missing from the very top of the publishing food chain is that authors promoting their own books on social media platforms does not consistently sell books and will not consistently sell books. It's just not happening. And the second thing is social media, the way it is de- designed, does not sell BIPOC books the same way as it sells and pushes books by white authors. And I like we are proof of that because a lot of us go like viral on a regular basis. My first book, my so-called Bollywood Life, was everywhere. People were coming up to me all the time saying, I've seen your book everywhere. My so-called Bollywood life is the next it book. And that was literally my worst selling book, worst selling book. And it's because social media is often a place for a lot of like false, like activism and, and TikTok can sometimes be a place for a lot of false activism. And, you know, I have to say, I'm so fortunate to like be connected with really amazing people on TikTok who are not like that, who are true supporters and activists and amazing, amazing, you know, advocates for BIPOC readers. Like, I don't want to say that everyone is exactly like this, 
But I think that there's a total, and like going back to Adriana's point, there's a misconception about what BIPOC books can do, how to frame the conversation around selling them, and how to discuss like the the value of of what they are to readers like there's just they need to change the script the script is not the same for non-diverse writers the script is not the same as it was 15 years ago you know it and that that is the biggest problem and we as individual authors cannot do it without like everyone in the industry this oppressive system that has so many problems basically dismantling its thought process and reconstructing in a way that's more equitable. I mean, I do, I have wondered this a lot, like can an author of color, like a black, black or brown author go viral? Because I think we've, we've like been like, there, these are, there's a few authors that like, if one of us could, they would have, and yet we haven't. And I, I feel mean- like, they I do like, yeah. like I think you're Kennedy. You're about to say like Eden O'Neill. She's gone viral. Millions of and Claire Contreras has gone viral. Um, and like so, like and as a result, like I know Eden O'Neill. Eden O'Neill doesn't write black or brown characters. Well, there you go. Right, but yeah. like also Nana, like like Eden is not one of the like seven spots on the Times list. No, right. she's not, and that's true. Yeah, and well, because right now one of seven is all all of them are Colleen Hoover, um, right? And so like we we run into this thing of like yeah, we can do well and perform, and it, like and it's a different landscape for indie, right? It's a completely different landscape for indie because on the indie scale, um, when we look at something that's gone viral, I just look at my bank account. Right. And I'm like, nice. You know, like if please God, if so, like if that is to happen, I look at the bank account and I'm like, <laughs> well done. Am I going to be on the times list? No, it, that's not how going viral works for the brown folks. But yeah. on the indie side, because that's a direct line to my bank account, I see that and like we see that in spades. Right. So we're like, that little thing that went viral, that was a lot of money that went straight into my bank account. Excellent. On the, on the trad side, it's very difficult. I mean, because at the end of the day, the decisions about what books get put into Barnes and Noble, people are making those decisions off of TikTok. And it's like, well, now Barnes and Noble, what happened to all your activism? What happened to you? Like, because now all of those books are white, so white. And I'm not saying they're not great books, but at the same time, it's Colleen Hoover and, or, lots of other white authors and it's like that's right and with with Barnes Noble there's a lack of education when it comes to biases that is happening at the store level so if you're asking stores to stock the shelves okay what training is going into having booksellers like arming booksellers with the appropriate knowledge that they need in order to address internalized biases to like create diverse displays because just giving them the guidance oh like for your community like I've had a bookseller tell me directly and like I'm very fortunate to be around amazing indies but like this is not an indie and like this bookseller was like we didn't think people in our community would want to buy Dating Dr. Dill. So the week of my book release, my local bookstore had ordered one copy. 
we're running out of time and I did want to get to um, an audience question from Teresa who said, I love this conversation, but for those readers who are not on TikTok, what else can we do to promote your book beyond word of mouth? Review, like close the economic wealth gap by investing in our books. If you have the financial means, if not reach out to your local libraries and ask them to stock copies of it. Talk to your friends about it. Ask your book clubs to read diverse books. Ask your friends to buy books for gifts for like holidays. Like those are the best ways to do it. Closing the wealth gap is the only way to really build equity in this industry. And so like, the power of the purse is the best, like is the number one recommendation. But if you can't do that, libraries, gifts, reviews, all of those help. I mean, and and that, I think honestly, part of what I feel is the piece with all of it, like you have to read our books to be able to sell them because how you can have, the way you hand sell a book is by reading it and loving it and being able to articulate why that book just did something for you that you want to share with the world. And I think that is how, a lot of these books end up going viral. And I think the way to do it, you have to give our books a chance. You have to read them. Like, yeah, I'm like now 12 days from the end of Latinx Heritage Month. And I guess every day I get tagged with my the cover of one of my books on somebody's account. And I'm like, gosh, I wish you would just like, instead of like posting 10 covers, just read one of our books. I don't even care if it's mine. Because if you read an Alexis Daria book, chances are you'll end up with one of my books in a couple of months. Just read them, please. Like, I feel like- Buy them and read them. Buy them and read them because just tagging us for like, you know, like, oh, we need to read diversely. Like it's- That's that's the problem, right? So like for years, people have done this like performative nonsense where they're like, well, it's on my diverse books, bookshelf, right? So like BookBub, I have a book, a free book, a free book every month, every month it's on BookBub. You can go grab any free book of mine, right? Like thank, thank the gods. It's like, they're always like picking one of my books. Do you know the number of times people come up to me like, oh my God, I've had your book forever. I got it on BookBub and it just, I've been waiting to read it. And I'm like, for what? what? What are you waiting on? Why? Black History and, Month? <laughs> right? And again, they're like, oh my God, like I've, got, I've got you my Goodreads TBR. And I'm like, what, what, is, what does that mean? Because like, and then you go and look at their TBR and it says my diverse books list. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. why am I not on your romantic suspense list? Why am I not on like your kick-ass heroines list? Why am I not on any of the fun things that you can use to sell a book as opposed to just being like, well, the heron's black. If that's the first thing you have to say about the book, you didn't read it mm-hmm. and that you're doing this for performance and you have zero intention of reading it. So you don't need to approach me and tell me I have one of your books on my TBR because you, you haven't bought it. You didn't put money in my pocket. You didn't read it. You didn't tell anyone to go read it. It just looked nice on an Instagram like photo or whatever the case is, because that doesn't help us. Mm-hmm. It really doesn't. Um, we're almost out of time and I want to make sure that you all have um, the opportunity. I want you to one, promote your book, whatever book you feel like promoting. And then two, give us a uh, one book recommendation from another author, please. Um, Kennedy, can you start us off? 
Yes, um, my book that's next book that's coming out, and you did tell us about that, so I have it at hand. Yes, <laughs> is before I, I don't just sit around with my books kind of like just lying around me. Um, before I let go, um, which is um, it has a lot of mental health rep, uh, a woman who is healing from losses and from depression, a lot of on page therapy. Therapy, but it also has a lot of like romance and steam and swooniness and family dynamics. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that. Um, that's November 15th. And um, the book that I would recommend is Honey and Spice by Bola Babaloa, who um, it is Black British. It's college, um, I believe Nigerian. Um, it is amazing. I love it so much. Um, I did the audio book, but 99% of how I consume books is audio, but the audio is excellent and the narrator is excellent. But so Honey and Spice is my big recommendation lately. Thank you, Nisha. Um, so I wrote Dating Dr. Bill. So that is, I, I don't want to promote this book as much as like my next one, which comes out in like three months, by the way. Um, so, uh, the karma map is a young adult romance and it is, um, uh, about a mean girl redemption story on a youth group temple tour through North India. So it's a conversation about religion, spirituality, and falling in love in the most unexpected way. Um, So that's up for pre-order. So the Karma Map. And um, the book that I want to recommend, I've been like, now that I'm not writing a rom-com, I've been reading a lot of rom-coms. So um, I finished um, A Proposal They Can't Refuse by Natalie. Oh, my God. Tanya. Yes. Thank you. Uh, And there are triggers. So just check your trigger warnings because um, there are quite a few triggers in that. But um, it was like the banter was so punchy and fresh. So I really, really love that book. Highly recommend. Thank you, Adriana. Um, Seconded for a proposal that I can't refuse. It's really great. Um, The book I want to um, promote is on the hustle. It's coming out next week. Uh, it's a contemporary. It is the second book in my dating in Dallas series. And it's Alba Duarte, who, um, is working as a PA for a, um, real estate developer guy in New York city, but her side hustle is designing bedrooms under the theme of your favorite book. And it's like, uh, you know, her business is like kind of going viral and she want to just like start strike on her own. And her boss is kind of awful. So the first chapter is her quitting on him. And then we realize that he's been pining for her for three years. And so he chases after her when she goes to Dallas. Um, And then the one I want to recommend is um, Big Chicas Don't Cry by Annette Chavez Macias. It's um, she also writes as Sabrina Soul, um, um, more purely romance, but this is kind of like women's fiction with like a lot of romance in it. And it is phenomenal. It will make you cry, even though big chicas are not supposed to cry, but it is really great and so voicey. And the like from the first page, you were just in in the story with like these four cousins, and it's really, really great. So I recommend that one. I was um I was trying not to laugh when you talked about on the hustles. I, I read it already, but there is this scene where the boss, uh, he is a, is a former Olympic swimmer. Um, and he is coming up out of the pool. <laughs> and it's just, it's just so funny. It's just like the, it's so 
real just to like be face to face with somebody that you are not supposed to be lusting after for many different reasons and you have and you're still just a human being <laughs> and you're like eyelid and she's like my eyelids are sweating yeah it's very hot <laughs> uh, I love that moment I love that moment um Nana Oh, um, so the book I'll promote is The King, um, part of my Gentleman Rogues series. It's book one. It is out now. And this, uh, the way I've been marketing it is Black Girl Alias. So if you love the Alias show, um, these are all the vibes because uh, Saffron Abbott is the leader of this like clandestine government organization. Um, and she has this older brother who's awful and terrible and tries to boss her around. And she shows up at work one day and her one night stand is her new trainee. Um, and he it. doesn't remember her at all. So, um, and that's the first book in the new series. So the second book comes out at the end of this month, The Saint. Um, but uh, all the heroines are black and badass and either know how to fight or learn how to fight. Um, and they take no crap from anyone. And it is everything I love all packed into one very um, King's Many vibe. <laughs> if you love those kind of movies and things, because I fixed King's Men because I was like, what happened to the romance? And then I <laughs> you fixed it. <laughs> I fixed it. Um, and then the book I'll recommend. I just uh, had the ch- the Brown Apple Challenge chat with Tiffany Patterson today for Aaron's patience. It's billionaire, really really fun. Um, he's super alpha, and she is like just the kind of black woman you want to get loved on. And you're like, yes, love on this librarian with her two babies and the <laughs> single mom. And just it was just like feel good hearts. And I was like, yes, this is the kind of book I'm like, yes, seeing black woman minding her business, enjoying life. And this alpha billionaire thinks that he's going to boss her around and she won't take it. And of course he's in love and it was just fun and fabulous. And like I say, vitamin enriched cake, all of these stories are joyful. So Tiffany Patterson's Aaron's patience is my recommendation. Thank you. Um, I'm sorry. We didn't get to get like deeper into you know, bridging that gap of how to go, well, not even really how to go viral, because is that something that you want to do? Or, you know, I don't know. That's the question that maybe- I mean, I want to make money. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't turn it down. (laughs) I just feel like there's so much pressure. Money, I would turn it down. Yeah, there's so much pressure though. If you go viral once, then they, you know, they want it to keep happening, right? And that's that's a lot of pressure, I think. Yeah. I mean, I want to go viral as me for the books that I write without right. sacrificing the things that I love, right? right yes. that, yeah. that would be that great. That would be perfect. And there you have it. A conversation I've now listened to at least four times and frankly will probably listen to again. A huge thank you to Adriana, Kennedy, Nana, Nisha, and Nicole for their insight, candor, and humor. Go buy and read their wonderful books. And thanks to you so much for joining me for this edition of the Meet Cute Book Pod. I'm Becca, the owner of Meet Cute Romance Bookshop in San Diego, California. And I hope you'll tune back in for more deep dives into romance writing, reading, and publishing. Wow.